I, uh, I feel like it's one of those mornings when I, I, I need a prayer that originates from a Namibian. Do we have any Namibians here? Oh, we do. Hey, wow. Oh, man. I, I, I just, I, see? Look at this, look at this handsome man here. Wow, I, I, I just, I didn't even know. Nice to see you. Good to see you, buddy. I love this man, and I love it when he prays. So would you pray, would you just, would you pray in your native language? And we will agree, because we know you only pray good things. I'll be happy to do that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Tate on the mapangirageshe karungo namtima henda. Atuku pandura, atuku hambele, atuku simane kiro irongao ina hondo, Jesus Christus. Irukare pamwena se, turu kiro njira njitu nao kuendana yo. Injo uturonge, indo ukarepunaete, menari ya Yesu Christus. Kakuno mundu waro nguathana kuna ove. Dangi mbepo njapuke, dangi papa menari ya Yesu. Dangi kodondaya, dangi koruthuvero, menari ya Yesu Christus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. I, your accent is really good, by the way. It's very authentic. It's good. Oh, man. Well, we've been uh, hanging out in Philippians. I'm Pastor Jason, by the way, associate pastor here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It is. 25. Woo. 21? Yeah, something like that. Uh, it's also Jesse Whitaker's birthday today. Yeah. All right. We've been hanging out in this book, um, and we are going to go through the most famous section of this, this book, and um, so let's, man, let's just dive right in. There's so much good stuff here, um, and it's not moving. Come on. I might need somebody back there to arrow forward, because for some reason, it's just stopped. And... Well, hold on. Don't say anything yet. Just wait. Is uh, uh, the Belkin, is it not on Belkin anymore? Because now it's suddenly not showing up. This is all an object lesson this morning. There we go. Thank you, sir. Or ma'am, whichever one of you guys did that. Um, Philippians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We don't know these women. We don't know exactly what their quarrel was, but I know we have some pregnant women in the house, and I present to you the names Euodia and Syntyche if you're having a girl. Outstanding names. We're going to just trust that they worked it out, whatever it was, but it must have been a big deal. Paul knew these ladies, and they had worked alongside of him. We don't even know who he's addressing when he says, my true companion. Uh, maybe that was Epaphroditus who brought him the letter and was going to deliver Paul's response back to them. But it must have been relatively serious if they thought, listen, the only way we're going to help these people work it out is if Paul himself speaks into it. Um, and I, I, I think 
Um, you know, it could have been just the same as some of the quarrels that happen between ministers today. Just can't seem to get along. Maybe there are theological differences, whatever it was. And Paul says, please, I implore you to agree in the Lord. Now, he continues, and it seems like this is an aside, and this might have been an aside, just like in any letter that we type, oh, by the way, can you tell these, these people to stop bickering? Um, maybe it was that, um, and then he just goes on. But this next section, I think he's still talking to them, at least in part. And here we go with, again, I say the most famous part of this, this book. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Paul has talked about joy and rejoicing all the way through this book in different facets. And in fact, we've entitled this series, Philippians, A Study in Joy. And here he is saying rejoice always in everything. Here's the way N.T. Wright, probably the world's foremost New Testament scholar, which is funny because his initials are N.T., but you know. Um, here's, what he, here's his translation of the Kingdom New Testament. He says, celebrate joyfully in the Lord all the time. I'll say it again, celebrate. Let everybody know how gentle and gracious you are. The Lord is near. And he goes on and explains this. Now, catch this. This, this kind of blew my mind here. Often the word here is translated as rejoice, which we read the first time. We normally understand that word today, I think, as, a mean, as meaning something that happens inside people, a sense of joy welling up and making them happy from within. All that is important, uh, all that is important and is contained within Paul's command. But in his world and culture, this rejoicing would have meant what we would call public celebration. The world all around, in Ephesus, Philippi, Corinth, and elsewhere, used to organize great festivals, games, and shows to celebrate their gods and their cities, not least the new god, Caesar himself. So why shouldn't the followers of King Jesus celebrate exuberantly? It's only right. And celebrating Jesus as Lord encourages and strengthens loyalty and obedience to him. Celebration is a team sport. He's not just saying, just think about the good things and help it just, you know, rejoice. He's saying, celebrate together. Celebration is a team sport. Think, think about the different stories we have in Scripture. Think about the shepherd who, who lost the one sheep and left the 99 to go bring it back. And we think of that parable just sort of there of like Jesus comes after the one and he does and it's beautiful. But we forget what happens when he finds the one sheep. He calls his friends and he says, rejoice, celebrate with me because I found my sheep. We're going to have a barbecue. We're not going to eat mutton, something else. But celebrate. It's going to be amazing. Similarly, we have the woman who lost her coin. This isn't a quarter. This would have been like a, a large sum of money. And she is going crazy trying to find this thing. And day after day, and her neighbors are a little nervous about her because she hasn't bathed in days and her hair is up like this. And she's like, guys, I'm so scared. I can't find it. And finally she finds it. And she, you see her, she's dancing in the lawn going, yes, I found it. Everybody celebrate with me. We're going to have a party. I found my coin. What about the prodigal son? Again, so much to focus on there. You see the younger brother running. You see the older brother stewing. And you see the, the father running after the son when he comes home and tackling him. We see the father's love. But we often forget what he says. Kill the fatted calf. We're having a feast. 
Invite everyone, celebrate, rejoice with me because my son is home. See, rejoicing, celebration is a team sport. And it's really, really hard to celebrate by yourself. I'm not saying you can't, but it just doesn't work as well. I was thinking, you see, I, I have five kids. I see a lot of kids' movies. One of the ones I really enjoyed was The Muppets from 2011, the sort of renewing, you know, that like Jason Segal and Amy Adams were in it. And there is this wonderful scene. I actually thought about using this, but then I was just imagining Tim Keller looking at me someday, and I would have to confess to a man like him that I used a Muppets clip in a sermon. So I decided not to. But this wonderful scene when Amy Adams. Her, her boyfriend has forgotten about their anniversary and she had this dinner plan. So she just decides, fine, I'm going to go celebrate by myself. And she goes to this diner, her favorite restaurant, and she, she sings this song about having a me party. And she's like at her table and she's got her fork and a knife and, a, and these, you know, these rolls and she's making them dance. And she's singing lines like, uh, one is the new two. <laughs> I'm having a me party. There's no one I don't know here. I'm having a me party. I'm the last one on the dance floor. And you see this, and it's funny, and you're laughing, but it's so smart because the whole time, even though he's got all these lights around, the whole time you're watching it, and nobody's buying it, and she's not buying it because celebration isn't supposed to be like that. Celebration is intended to be shared, and it's actually kind of sad when it's only one person. So Paul says, rejoice, celebrate joyfully. Celebrate joyfully in the Lord all the time. I'll say it again, celebrate joyfully. Now, he's just gotten through talking with these two women, telling them to lay aside their differences, and now he's telling everybody to celebrate. And I think he had these two women on his mind still. Because something happens when we celebrate together. Our differences start to mean less. Disagreements magically begin to fade. You see this all the time in the world of sports. You'll see these teams get these personalities, and you're looking at like, oh, man, this team just got this point guard who loves him some him, and they already have this, they already have the center who really wants to be, you know, the center of everything, and how are these two going to coexist? This is going to be, oh, and, and it's, it's embarrassing. Like, you see these news conferences, and it's like super passive-aggressive. Well, I guess our guard plays just got to get better. Well, I guess our center better start shooting his free throws, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, oh boy, and all the, you know, the gossip, is, or, or, is this going to work, or is this team going to implode? And then suddenly they start winning games, and then you see these guys showing up on one another's Instagram, and they're partying, they're having a great time, and they're calling each other bro. You know, I mean, it's like, all this is, now what's changed? Well, they started winning, and that's cause for celebration. And when that happens, all those differences, oh, it's not a big deal. Isn't that interesting how that happens? If things are going well together, if you're sharing in victories, then all the other things can start to fade. That's actually, it seems to whisper something about our design. Celebration is a team sport. Paul continues, do not be anxious about anything. Now, in English, these words sound a little out of step, I think. Does that sound a little out of step? Uh, maybe you're like me, and I've bristled a little bit sometimes at these words, like, do not be anxious, especially because we live in a day with so much chronic anxiety. 
it's, uh, you know, it's like, Paul, that's, how do you say that? I mean, here's, a, here's an excerpt from a New York Times story. Um, and it's, it was from last month. Why are more American teenagers than ever suffering from severe anxiety? Now, this is obviously just highlighting teenagers um, and, and college students, but it's, it's emblematic across the board. Okay, get this. Um, over the last decade, anxiety has overtaken depression as the most common reason college students seek out counseling services. In 1985, the Higher Education Research Institute at UCLA began asking incoming freshmen if they, quote, felt overwhelmed by all I had to do, unquote, during the previous year. In 1985, 18% said they did. By 2010, that number had increased to 29%. Last year, just five years later, it surged to 41% in five years. Now get this, this is even more drastic. In its annual survey of students, the American College Health Association found a significant increase from 62% or to 62% in 2016 from 50% in 2011 of undergraduates reporting overwhelming anxiety in the previous year. It's 62% now. That's almost two-thirds of our university students saying I had overwhelming anxiety the previous year. And these, I don't think, are in any way inflated. I think that this is very common. I mean, I work with the, the, the college students. I'm talking to them all the time of this sort of overwhelming things that comes. And it's not just them. It's, it's parents. Boy, in the, in the special needs world, I think it's probably, I would be surprised if it's under 85%. I really would. It's, it's this chronic thing. So in a world full of anxiety, how does Paul say, do not be anxious? Like I said, it kind of makes me bristle at first. I started deconstructing this a little bit. In English, anxious is an adjective. Like tall, or white, or old. <laughs> you can't tell someone, don't be old. It's an adjective. Can't tell someone, don't be tall. It's an adjective. So how can you tell someone, don't be anxious? It's like, that's just hard. Like, man, that's very condemning, Paul, actually. But see, the problem is, is that we don't have an English equivalent here to be able to adequately say, I think, what Paul's trying to say. He's using a Greek word called marinma. Everyone say marinma. There we go. This is the verb that refers to anxiety. Be anxious. Do not be anxious, okay? It's linked to anxiety, okay? Now, the thing is, it's not like a state of being. It's not an adjective. It's not that. It's an action. And our problem is we don't have a word that parallels it in English. So we do the best we can and we say, do not be anxious. Okay, translators face this kind of dilemma all the time. So, what, what I want to do here is we have to think about this in, in different ways. He's not telling us not to be something. He's specifically telling us not to do something. So what is it? Well, we have to turn this word into a verb, and then we'll deconstruct it, okay? So here's what we're going to do. Are you with me still? Okay, here's the word. Do not anxiousize. <laughs> Stop anxiousizing. Are you anxiousizing right now? Cut it out. Now, let me explain. What could this... There it is. Hashtag do not anxiousize. Here's... As you, as you, you pull out, look at the semantic range and, and, and different flavors, different shades of meaning from this word marinma, you see things like this. Do not think earnestly upon. Do not care too much for. Do not scan minutely. That was my favorite. Scan minutely. Hmm. This, this trouble that I have. Ooh. 
Ooh, ooh. Stop exercising. That helps me. I don't know if that helps you. That helps me. Because he's not saying don't be some. There are specific things that you and I do have control over. Now, I'm not referring to chronic anxiety here. I understand that there are, there's all kinds of things. Like counseling is a very necessary thing for many, many people dealing with anxiety. And sometimes medication as well. So I'm not speaking this across the board. But I think for, the, for most of the time, when we're experiencing this and we just can't get away from it, it's because we are choosing to anxiousize. We are choosing to fixate, to minutely study the things that are going wrong in our hearts. And that's what Paul says don't do. And I think the majority of us who deal with anxiety, and I have absolutely dealt with this myself, would do far better if we began there, stopped doing that, and then we wouldn't end up to the place where we actually would need counseling or need medication, etc. Does that make sense? So, we're going to unpack this a little more. Here is the Hague translation. Everybody's, it's, it's flying off the shelves. <laughs> Do not waste your emotional energy obsessing over fears or negative experiences which you cannot possibly change. <sighs> Guys, this is... Why do we do this? Because we can actually choose not to do these things. I'm not saying it's easy. But we can choose not to waste our emotional energy obsessing over fears or negative experiences which we can't control, which we can't change. But that ends up bringing us down when we do that. So what's the alternative? Paul is so actually practical in this. Here's, here's what we do instead. Do not anxiousize, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I anxiousize, let me tell you, I don't pray. You guys have that experience? When I start giving in to that, I can tell you, I don't pray very much. I get stuck in that cycle of worry and fear and doubt and all of these things. And I'm there. And I end up just staying right there. But Paul says, don't do that. Instead, talk to God about it. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to him. And then his peace comes. So instead of pulling out that magnifying glass and looking inside us and looking, oh gosh, this is so bad and this is going to be so, oh, in the future, and what is all these things? Instead of that, talk to God about it. Get, I, know, I know he can see it already, I get that, but it's not the same. You see, we have something in us, and I don't know what this is, we have this weird decorum nowadays that says, like, you can't say that to God, as if he's fragile. Please say it to God. Say it to him. If it's already in your heart, say it to him. Get it out. Do it. Do it. David did. David actually, he, he, in this, this scripture, he's actually telling us that it doesn't work for him to stew. He says, I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me, and as I mused, the fire burned. Isn't that vivid? Oh, what a writer he was. Then I spoke with my tongue. And then he unleashes what he said to God. And we get to see this over and over again in the Psalms. 
We get to see him upset. And sometimes you're like, oh dear. You know, whoo. Now, part of the problem, different age, and he's, I, I, sometimes I think we need to grow up a little bit here. Sometimes he says stuff that makes us uncomfortable, so what? Would you rather have Paul screaming and lashing out in prayer, or would you rather have him jumping on a horse with his sword going after Nabal because he's offended? You see, Paul did both, or excuse me, not Paul, David did both things. He did. Sometimes he, he, he let it all out before the Lord, and that's what makes us uncomfortable. But it's sometimes he jumped on his horse and is like in his homicidal rage because somebody didn't pay his men as much as he thought he should. Which would you rather him do? I would much rather have him come before the Lord and get it all out. Get it out. And when he did that, the vast majority of the time, he turns to praise in the end. Because prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, and he ends up, after letting everything be made known to the Lord, he ends up in peace. This is a model for how you and I are supposed to pray. Get it before the Lord. Get it out. I know he can see it, but it doesn't do anything for you if you don't actually tell him. Nothing. Because you end up pretending, and he can't meet you at the painful place where he's trying desperately to meet you. In everything, in these bad times, through prayer and supplication, come to him and say, Lord, here's what's going on with me. I'm not just going to sit and stew. I'm just going to tell you. Can we just talk? Lord, I am super concerned, and I'm scared, and I don't like this thing that's going on. Can I just give this to you? You see, we have this cliche in this modern church cliche of give it to God, man. Give it to God. We're like, I will. But then we don't. How do you give it to God unless you don't give it to God? Give God your anger. How do you give God your anger unless you give him your anger? You guys, sometimes, I promise you, he's a big God, and he's not scared of your anger. So just tell him. If you're ticked off at him, just tell him, Lord, I'm angry with you. Okay, now we're actually getting somewhere. This is what we're designed to do, and this is what he's telling us. Please do this. You will not have peace if you anxiousize. You will not have peace if you're going to let it all burn. It's like taking a Dr. Pepper and shaking it like crazy. No, I'm at peace. No, you're not. You are bubbling and ready to explode, man. So give it to him. Do you see the difference? Peace comes. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you. He answers those prayers, and he does come in and give us peace. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Again, such direct and practical advice. Let me tell you, I was tested on this this weekend. Sometimes, you guys know, sometimes when we're prepping a sermon, we get tested on that exact thing. Yeah, right? Happens all the time, doesn't it? So I was tested on that this weekend because here I am prepping the sermon, but all this news is coming. And like, really, really bad news, guys. Good. This, is, this has been a rough week if you've been watching the news. 
not only you have all kinds of crazy violence and shootings, and you have these allegations and these things that are coming out about these men's lives, very public men, Hollywood, and in Washington, all these people that people look up to, and you find out, oh my goodness, these people did a horrible things, and it's just one after another, and you're like, oh, like it just feels sick, you're like, and then, and then new, new things are coming out, new statements are coming out, and this is happening, and this is happening, and now, and I'm sitting here, and, and all of this is, and I'm sitting watching all of this, and finally, I just came to a point of like, I can't do this anymore. And I closed my computer, and I, I, I put my jacket on, I got my headphones, and I took a walk. And here's what happened. It was, it was amazing, this happened. I thought, you know, I need to do what Paul says here. I need to think on the good things here. Because the bad things will rise to the top and cloud everything and make you forget that there is any good thing. So I started walking, you know, we, we do this like once a year on Thanksgiving of what are the things you're thankful for? And we do it around the table, um, my family and football, woohoo, and um, turkey, there's tur- you know. Okay. We're so out of practice, we can't even think of the things when it comes time. But maybe if we practiced a little more often and didn't just wait to Thanksgiving, I guarantee it would go better. And I just walk in, and I'm just like, and the first thing I notice is like, it's chilly out here, but I'm not cold at all because I have this great black jacket. And I, I love this coat. It, I'm so warm, and it looks nice, and it's comfortable. Thank you, Lord, for my jacket. And I'm like, and my shoes look nice, and they feel great. They're not like those Converse All-Stars back in the day that had no padding whatsoever. These are super comfortable, and I can wear them anywhere, and I like them. See, very basic, right? And then my headphones are like great sound, and my ears are warm at the same time. So great. It's just little things, right, wherever you see it. And then I started looking at nature, and I'm looking at the leaves. And the leaves are all over the road, but they're so pretty. They're yellow and orange and purple and all these things and I'm like this reminds me of like being in a city the day after a ticker tape parade where there's just been this huge celebration in the city and you see it and the city's still in glow about this party they had and I was thinking this is like this is like like we just had this party called fall and the city is still like wasn't that great I mean, it's still great. It's not over yet. I mean, you still see this stuff, and it's ending, but it's, how cool is this? The whole city, just like, all of nature just celebrated in Oregon. And I kept walking. I'm looking at the, the water and the street, and it's just like the way that, that things reflected off. It looked like funhouse mirrors on the, on the ground, every, you know? And I just kept going, and I was like, then I was seeing the trees themselves, and they're mostly bare, right? And, and even though they're mostly, you know, there are a lot of people who don't have the winter or fall seasons. When they come and they experience it for the first time, they think everything's dying. Like, oh no, this is terrible. What's wrong with your trees? And you're like, it's okay, I promise. They're fine. And you see these trees, like all the leaves are gone, but they're still like, yeah, that was good. And we're coming back, baby. We're going to take a rest, but joy is coming back. Spring is coming back. And even in hard seasons when there's nothing but bad news, there is good news coming again. There is good news because we're resilient because the kingdom of heaven does not stop when bad news comes. It does not overshadow, the the bad news cannot overshadow the kingdom. It cannot overshadow the goodness of God unless we let it. But you begin to look at these things and say, here's a good thing. Here's an admirable thing. Here's a lovely thing. Here's a thing of good report. And as I kept walking, I started looking at the houses then and thinking, how much joy happens inside here? You know, how many beautiful things happen? I bet there was a kid who lost a tooth in that house. 
I bet maybe there was a proposal. Maybe somebody has just got proposed to and is getting married. Or maybe this person over here, you know, maybe there was a, a really hard time and now they've got back on their feet and they got a new job. And, and I bet there's bedtime stories being read in there. And I wonder if those people pray and, and thank God. I bet they do. And you start to realize, no, there is joy in our world. And we have to call it out. We have to remember it. And we have to say, Lord, every good and perfect gift comes from you. Every one. Even if I'm not feeling it right now, even if I can't see good and perfect gifts in my life because I've been anxiousizing for too long, I'm sure that there's, there's good and perfect gifts right there, and autumn is a good and perfect gift, and crisp air, and, and coats, comfortable coats, all of these are good and perfect gifts. And it's our job as followers of Christ to call them out, to see them, and to thank God for them. Here, I think, in the end, is what he's calling us to. Look for the hand of God, acknowledge his goodness everywhere you find it, and celebrate joyfully together. This is what Paul's calling us to. Now this, is, this can be the hardest part, because sometimes in the midst of anxious seasons, it's very difficult to see things. It's very difficult to find things to be excited about. It's difficult to see victories. And we've had seasons of this in our life, I'll tell you. When you're really praying for a certain thing and you're having a you know, particularly a rough time. We've had seasons of this with my son for many times where the anxi- his anxiety would just be over the top and he's miserable and he's doing terrible and it's very sad and disconcerting and you're like, I want to help him but he can't tell us what's going on and, and I, I, Lord, please come. You're not saying breakthrough. It's at those times that we must Focus on the goodness, find the goodness of God wherever it is, even if it's not in our sphere, even if it's not in our lives. You see, you can get bitter about that. Lord, that person just got breakthrough and I'm not. And that can be a source of great bitterness if you let that, if you let that ripen. But what if instead it was a source for joy? What if instead you're like, Lord, I don't see your hand right now but I can't let this define your goodness because I see your goodness. I see how they've just gotten a victory. Lord, you just gave them that victory. So thank you, Lord, for that victory over there. What if you started looking for anywhere that God was breaking through and acknowledging that as a source for celebration? Lord, the lady down the street, she found her lost coin. That's great. And she's having a party. I think I should go to that party. I think you should go to that party too. When he says celebrate with those who rejoice, Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. It's not just for her sake, it's for yours as well. It's for mine as well because we need reasons to celebrate. And sometimes we have to import them. Sometimes you will need to import somebody else's victory in order to help you remember just how good God is. And there will be a time when you remember. There will be a time when all of these come back and you're like, Lord, you are good and look what you just did in my heart. Look what you just did in my family. Look at what you just did here. Every good and perfect gift comes from him, guys. Every single one. We need to start collecting blessings. Everywhere, we need to start looking for them. And everywhere we find them, say, Lord, if I'm going to be upset about not getting this victory, I should at least, for my own integrity's sake, say, you did give this one. Do you see what I'm saying? 
at least for consistency's sake, if we're going to be upset, if we're going to despair about one thing, we at least need to celebrate about where good things are happening. And this is where, see, this world full of sorrow and despair doesn't want us to do that. It makes you say, oh, that's just, that's just denial. You're denying all the bad things. Hogwash, you're not denying the bad things. You are not denying the bad things. In fact, the bad things get in your face and they, they jump to the top of your Twitter and Facebook feeds and they're 24-7 news. All you see is bad things. You will not be able to deny the bad things. Nobody's denying that there's all kinds of brokenness. What people do deny is that there is health and joy. So it is our job then to see them. It is our job to notice them, to speak about them, thank God for them, and celebrate together for them. That is what Paul is calling us to. It's not just a mindset, not just feel better about this. It's seek out the good things in your own mind, in your own heart. Look for the beautiful, look for the true, look for the things of good report. Stop anxiousizing, you don't need to. There's wonderful things happening around you. So link hands, body of Christ, and say, Lord, we will not be drawn down by the things which are left undone. Instead, we will lift our hands in joy and rejoicing because you are good, even above my circumstance. Let's stand. Prayer servant team, come forward. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need an influx of joy. Lord, we need new eyes to see the victories that you're giving us. Lord, give us the grace to look outside of ourselves and outside of our troubles. Give us the grace to speak boldly, not only about the bad things in our hearts, but about the beautiful things that you give us. Lord, help us because this is countercultural. Help us, Lord. This is not a natural thing for us. Lord, help us because we live in a culture that is all about isolation and despair. So we need your help, Lord. We need the culture of the kingdom in our hearts. Give us the grace and the gift of celebration. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, please come see these guys. Be blessed.